Thank you, Jan. All right. Uh, good morning, and uh, thanks. And yes, uh, Wednesday I turned old, <laughs> so I was I was teasing my wife, my uh, uh, my mom, and her husband Mark showed up yesterday unannounced, surprise. And so we're kind of I was standing with them, and I was saying, "Honey, we're in the club, and you're not. You know, we're we're the old club. She doesn't want to be in that club, but." Anyway, so uh, thanks for, you know, the social media posts and the letters and emails and all that kind of stuff, text messages. So thanks to all of you. I appreciate it. Uh, We're going to go ahead and get started, right, because I don't want to see that picture again. (laughs) Okay. Be careful with those guys back there. Uh, I'm going to invite the uh, ushers forward and dismiss middle school, high school out to Fellowship Hall. Ushers have Bibles, outlines, and pens for you to follow along, and uh, prayer request cards as well, and would love for you to just raise your hand and let them know what you need, and um, and then we will get going. We are uh, continuing our series, and actually we're about to end the uh, with the book of Matthew, and uh, I was, was not really paying attention as we were going along, and I'm just kind of enjoying it, and then I was looking at it and realizing... We're done next week, and when we're done next week, it will have been about a year and a half of Matthew, just Matthew, uh, passage at a time, working our way all the way through. If uh, God had this written down for us and wanted us to know, we should know it, and why skip anything, and so we've just been working our way through it, and uh, I've been having a great time, and some of you must have too, because you keep coming, and it's been a year and a half. But um, we're going to wrap up next week with the end of chapter 28. Today we're going we're gonna to do a piece at the end of 27 and another little piece at the beginning of chapter 28 because they thematically go together. And, and I've been trying to show you a little bit that uh, Jewish writers of the time, uh, they, instead of writing chronologically, they would write in little theme pockets, if you will, and they'd write something, and then they'd write something else, and then they'd write about that same theme again, and so it wasn't always in chronological order, so we're going to look at one of those little combo sets uh, this morning, and what we've been doing is really kind of looking at uh, the whole Easter perspective, because one, the Bible has more to say about it, two, it's real easy for us as Christians to get really excited at Easter and the bunnies and the eggs and, we're, and colors and we're going to do candy and, and then it's gone and we move on to something else. Um, and actually, uh, my experience that I've enjoyed is beyond just the actual holiday, I want to know the setup. I want to know the ramifications. What? How did we get there? What happened after? What were they thinking? What were they feeling? What were they afraid of? Um, who did it affect? I want to see all the themes and things that were going on in the actual event. What were the real experiences back then? Rather than what's our excuse for holiday? Because uh, quite frankly, we can find anything to party about. Let's find something that has meaning behind it. And so for me, I've always been one of those where I, I just want to find the meaning behind it. And that's what we're kind of doing. So this morning is kind of unique because uh, this is the only time in our series in this book where we're going to look at kind of the day before Easter 
what happened. Some people are going to come. They're going to say a few things. And then the day after Easter, we're going to bookend. Easter's going to happen in the middle. It's going to get a little break in there. But we're going to see what, what led up to it. And then what were they saying right after it? How are they related? How's this go together? Um, it's, I think it's actually pretty fascinating. So we're going to jump into that. Before we do, let's pray. And then we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this morning. And thank you for Easter. Better said, Lord, thank you for your son. More specifically, thank you for your son's sacrifice, for your plan, what it means about who you are, who we are, what comes out of it. I pray, Lord, that following you for us will be more than just a title and calling ourselves Christians, but an actual perspective, guidelines. Reward, blessing, avoidance. That all of these things would somehow come out of our better understanding of who you are and what you're doing. Lord, I pray that we would speak of that in the present tense rather than what you did only in the past. And so I pray, Lord, for our, our morning as we get into your word. May you bless what we take from it. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 27, we're probably Saturday. And it says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. It's probably uh, right after the crucifixion because he was also a disciple of Jesus and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Has to be after Friday. It's before Easter, though, and we're going to see why we know that in just a second. He went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen truck. Who took the body? Okay, good. I'm going to play a little game with you here. Ready? Uh, and laid it in whose own tomb? Okay. Which who? Joseph. He had cut in a rock, so we know he cut the rock. Who rolled the great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away? Boy, Joseph's doing a lot, isn't he? That's important because we're going we're gonna to see it come back to us when we get to the fill-ins a little bit later. Uh, verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now, I want to rabbit trail for just a second and talk about women. See, in that culture, women were not respected the same way they are today. Uh, women were in a lot of ways, treated as second-class citizens. Uh, they would not be written about very often. And so how kind of fun that Matthew puts them in there when other writers probably wouldn't have. More importantly, how neat that God would make sure the women were mentioned. And now let's really hit it. In, in an age when women's testimony in court would not be taken seriously, they could not be a witness in court, how cool that God put two women there as the witnesses to say, oh no, women matter. And women are legitimate witnesses. And I'm going to put here so that I show you I'm bucking your system you came up with, humans. Because I made them. Male and female, I made them. Amen? Amen. Are women important? I'm going to be real careful on this one, okay? Because first, first service jacked it up, okay? <laughs> are women important in the Bible? 
Thank you. Please come to first service once in a while. I need you to rub off on them. Because there were like three people. Yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll worry about them later. Uh, So cool little thing here because it's not pertinent to the story per se. Doesn't change anything. I mean, Joseph did all the work. He talked to Pilate. We're about to move on to something else. And yet Matthew makes sure it's in there. God makes sure that it's in there so that we get to see, hey, God wants everybody on the scene. It also gives us just as general people the understanding that we, people were watching this. Not just one man's perspective. There were several different people. There were eyes on from many angles, right? And we're gonna, that's going to come back to us too. The next day, verse 62, that is after the day of preparation, Chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, said, Sir, we remember that that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. We remember that, right? Boy, uh, kind of rough. We, re- we remember how that imposter, that's a rough title. Um, by the way, did, did he end up being an imposter? No, no, no he didn't. Uh, but I thought this, this verse is significant enough for what we're talking about today that it is the highlighted verse at the top of your outline. And we're going to come back because I'm going to show it to you. We're, it's going to get real important in the second fill-in. Okay? Uh, we know there's some idea out there that he's going to try to raise again. And we know that's not really true. But since he said that, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go, steal him away, and tell the people he has risen from the dead. Thank you. Little little shout out to Easter, right? We know they're going to say that, right? Which is awesome because 2,000 years later, we're still saying it, right? That's so great. Uh, So let's have a plan. Let's secure the grave, make sure that they can't do this, right? The last fraud will be worse than the first. If we don't get out ahead of this, if we don't stop this, this Christian thing is going to take over. Boy, they were right. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. Good luck. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, this is a, there's a vague little reference here. It's kind of fun. Because they've, they've sealed the stone and they've set a guard, right? You know what's going to happen in the passage in between that we're not looking at this morning? Because we're going to jump ahead and in that little beginning of, of chapter 28. Uh, guess who moves the stone? Because uh, the, the stone gets moved again and a guard gets set again, right? There's two sets of moving the stone and there's two sets of guards. One's just the soldiers. One's the angel. Who won? You're meant to see that comparison and that contrast as you're reading through um, without skipping. But that's kind of fun. Uh, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the priests, wait, we've skipped. What happened? What happened in the skip? Easter. I want you to pretend, right? We just did the bunnies again and the whole thing. You got a little bit of a sugar high, the whole deal. And we talked about the fact uh, that he was in this in the in the tomb, and early in the morning the ladies went. The tomb was uh, was open. The angel was sitting there. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that whole thing's happened. 
Okay. Now verse 11 of 20 says, while they were going, some of the guard went into the sea and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Well, what had taken place? What are they saying? Someone stole the body. Just like we said, we told you beforehand, if we don't take care of this, they're going to come and steal the body and it's going to be worse than the first. Now look, it's happened, right? They're not saying that he rose. Why? They don't believe. But they think something else has happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, we got to change the narrative. We got to sell what happened. We got to get out in front of it. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. People still believe that to this day? Folks, it'd take you about three and a half minutes on the internet search to find somebody who still believes this. It's all over the place. There's all kinds of different theories as to how we can prove that it didn't actually happen. Why? Because people have been trying to prove that it didn't happen all, all along. Swoon theory, it's a big phrase they use in theology books. It's a swoon theory is that he, he just passed out on the cross and they thought he was dead and, and they put him in the tomb, but he was actually just a little comatose for a little bit and he magically resuscitated so he didn't actually die and then they came and got him and that's how he's walking around later. Well, that, that would work well for Hollywood. I mean, scientifically, it might be a good little example of how it could have happened without actually being a crucifixion and a resurrection. They have a hard time then explaining the ascension. It was witnessed by like hundreds of people. But they don't care. All they got to do is sell, hey, just tell them something else happened. It wasn't real. He's not really a god. Well, let's, they, let's say they embellished his teachings. They embellished, they exaggerated his miracles. The people he healed, they weren't really sick. They were actors, right? And we can come up with all these different things. And that's what they're doing, right? Go tell a bunch of lies. We'll pay you. And if this comes to the governor's ears, verse 14, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Let's, let's create a little party of witnesses. We'll make a story up and then we'll all support each other and everyone will believe it. So they took the money. Don't they always? I know you never do. But don't they always take the easy way out? They took the money and did as they directed and the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Why not spread it among the Jews? It's the perfect people to spread it among. Why? Because they believed Messiah was coming. And did they believe Jesus was it? No, they're still waiting for Messiah. So it's in their best interest to discredit who Jesus was. Boy, this whole thing's going to work. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Why do we get all this? I thought Matthew was a gospel right? I, Matthew, write this, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't about Jesus. Who's this about? This is about the enemies, the bad guys. Why would you put that in? Okay. I know I asked the question, but allow me to answer it also. It's basic movie theory, right? You know very few people who like movies more than myself. In a movie, you always have good guys, right? 
and you have an agenda, you've got a storyline or some conflict, right? And you got a good guy, and you got a story, and you always have to have a a bad guy, or or what would you what you call it? Antagonist, right? The fancy word, right? Because we don't we don't really want to call them bad guy. That's not politically correct. They're an antagonist, anti, against. There's always got to be some opposition. God puts this in the story. Matthew puts this in the story so that you are clear, I'm clear. 2,000 years later, he was opposed at every step. Not just the cross, not just a couple times in the temple when he was trying to teach, but the day before they were having the secret meetings, the day after they're having the secret meetings and they're doing absolutely everything they can to make him go away, make him disappear. Did it work? But I want you to see how easy it is. You see, there's always a way, an easy way to make it go away. Right? Steve, first one. There are easy ways to cover it up. There are easy ways to cover it up. And people have been doing it ever from the beginning, even to this day. The sad part for them, it was right in front of their face. They got to witness it. They got to see it. They got to hear it. They got to be around other people that did. But it didn't work for them. They had another agenda. And here's the sad truth. It's easy to come up with another agenda even today. I'm busy. I can't give my Sunday mornings up. I got other stuff I need to do. Folks, I love soccer, but Sunday mornings are not sacred anymore. Not in any soccer league I've ever heard of anymore. When I was a little kid, nothing soccer ever happened on Sunday anywhere. Just didn't happen. Now, I have kids who had games scheduled during church eight weeks in a row. It's easy to cover up this whole Jesus thing and just come up with other stuff to do. And it's sad because a lot of times, I mean, let's be honest, soccer's important, amen? Oh, wait, we stopped preaching there for a second. I know, I know, Doug, I got you there, right? Uh, But there's other things that we cover up Jesus with that aren't that important. Well, I just don't feel good today. Or, you know, I don't know that God would actually do something like that. So I can't believe that he's real because if it's in the Bible and I don't think it should have happened that way and I don't believe in a God that would act that way, then the Bible can't be real. See how it goes? We come up with little things, feeble things, cheap things to throw on top of it. Well, you know, I wasn't sure if my kid was faking or if they were actually sick, so we just decided to stay home. Hey, it was a little small compromise. I know it might be an integrity issue, but I decided to go ahead and go with go with it. All these little things, right? What, white lies, what are those? Thank you. They're stinking lies, okay? They're just <laughs> lies. But it's, it's the weirdest thing. And we do it, we do it. And I, I, you gotta follow with me, okay? It was birthday week, so I gotta do a birthday analogy. <laughs> we, we give gifts. And a lot of times they'll, they'll come in like a bag, right? The bag has all these fancy colors and a slick surface so that water gets on it no problem it comes right off 
No water damage on that thing. Has a little handle, maybe a little uh, tag, a few nice words. They kind of hold the, the, the handle together enough to kind of close the bag up a little so that the valuable thing at the bottom of the bag, it's harder to see. But just in case, because this valuable thing, we want it to be a surprise. We take this valuable thing and we put something on top. What, what do we put on top of that valuable thing? Tissue. The cheapest, thinnest, like most worthless thing on the planet, except for blocking your view a little bit. That's all it does, right? You can buy like 48 sheets of it for 50 cents or whatever. Now you use two of them and it's like, what do I do with the other 46? Oh, I'll save them for the next gift time. And I'll go stick it in the garage. Next time you go, it's like, where did I put it? I don't know. Buy 48 more for another 50 cents. Next thing you know, six months later, your, your garage is full of tissue paper because you always forget, right? Not that that happens to anybody in front of the front row. We take something cheap with no value, and we cover up the thing of real value. We do it religiously, spiritually, and we take Jesus and say, yeah, I think some of that might have some weight to it, but I'm just going to set it over there for a little bit, and I'll come back to it, because I'm going to go do this other thing. It's real easy to do that, folks. It's, it's easier when you're tired. It's easier when you're getting pressure from someone else. It's easier when you got kids or a dog you don't like or your hair's falling out or you're getting old. You can come up with all kinds of excuses, right? You know, I don't know if I have the right outfit for this. I'd never go to an event, folks, if that was the, right? I'm, my kids are like, Dad, are you wearing that? Is this a trick question? <laughs> We've got to start coming up with excuses because they're easy to come up with. You want to do that when, you know, like, well, I, don't, I, th I think I should go easy on the sweets for a little while. Come up with an excuse for that. But don't come up with an excuse for the heavy stuff, the important stuff, the stuff of real value. Get the tissue out of there. In fact, don't wrap the thing up. Walk in with that thing up high where people can see it and talk about it with a little volume. Amen? Because it's easy to cover it up. And, and it's popular. It's politically correct. I am just absolutely appalled all the time at the things that people will do, watch, make movies about, vote for, go out and do on the weekend, sometimes twice on Sundays. But man, if a Christian shows up, let's beat the hell out of that guy. Let's make him look like an idiot on the show. Let's make him the loser in the movie. And boy, if it's a media news story, oh, that poor guy. They don't usually do it to the Christian women. Why? Because they're women and we don't want to beat up women. But man, we take the Christians and we throw them to the lions. It's popular, folks. Welcome Rock Bible Church. Everybody thinks you're a loser out there. Don't believe it. Don't let yourself be covered up. Don't let Jesus be covered up and have some fun with it. Okay. Cause here's the reality. Here's the reality. It's kind of like Wednesday for me, right? Wednesday was my actual birthday, right? I'm turning 50. I'm looking forward to it and here it's coming. And it's around the bend. And I'm thinking, 
thinking, you know, it's weird because at 40, I was depressed. As 40 showed up, I thought, I'm old, I'm about to die, I probably have cancer, don't even know it, it's over. Let's write my obituary, hmm, who am I giving the car to? You know, that's what 40 felt like. As 50's coming, like, this week, I'm getting excited. Like, these are bragging rights. Some people never make it to 50. I get to say I'm in the old man's club. I'm going to mock my wife and tell her she's a youngster, right? This is going to just be fun. Well, Wednesday shows up and we got men's fraternity, 6 a.m., right here. And yeah, there's coffee and there's donuts, but man, 5 o'clock, 5.15 comes early. I'm 50 now. It's my birthday. What was the temptation? No. I could sleep in or whatever. I'm thinking, you know what? On my 50th birthday, I want to go be with my guys. I'm not even teaching. Drebeck taught. I didn't need to be here. I got up. I showed up. I sat right there. I'm going to be with my guys. It's Wednesday. This is what we do on Wednesday. I go home. I make sandwiches for my kids because a lot of days I do that. My kids go off to school. My wife goes off to work. I go back to church. It's staff meeting day. I'm not calling it off just because it's my birthday. We got stuff to do. I, we run a church here. I don't know if anybody knows. Anyways, uh, lunch. We go to lunch, staff lunch, because it's my birthday. So that was kind of fun. As soon as that's over, back to work. I'm trying to get this sermon ready for this week. Four o'clock, I got another meeting. Four o'clock meeting on my 50th birthday goes to 6.15. I'm looking for nooses and daggers, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm sitting here going, it's, it's my 50th birthday, and I'm working on stuff for two hours and 15 minutes. Now, it was soccer, so it was kind of... <laughs> but I'm getting home about 6.30 on my birthday. Kids are going off to youth group. It's Wednesday night. Welcome Rock Bible Church. We have a student ministry. Do I really want my kids to miss youth group? No. On my 50th birthday, what if I made a statement like, hey, youth group's important. You guys go to youth group. I don't care if it's my 50th birthday. We'll party this weekend. They go off to youth group. Julie comes home. She had a principal meeting. She gets home like 6.45 or 7, and we're toast. We're browned, dried, and crunchy, <laughs> right? We're sitting in the house. I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. I got no energy. God bless her. She's trying to rally. Honey, it's your 50th. Whatever you want to do, let, let, we'll go do. You want to go out to a nice restaurant or you want to go to a movie? I'm thinking to myself, if we go to a movie, I'm falling asleep in the first quarter. Of the, I, I got nothing left. If we go to a restaurant, it's kind of lost on me. I'm too tired. I don't want to spend a bunch of money. It's just going to be me and you. Where should we go? We're having this little negotiation. It's a cooperative discussion. Like, you're 50, and it's the night, and we're not planning or doing anything. And finally, you know what we did? Finally, we said, you know what? Let's just go down to the restaurant that we go to all the time. Let's just go get food that we know. We know they're not going to overcharge us. We'll have a good experience. We'll rat, relax, rest a little. We'll be home by 8.30. We can go to bed on time. <laughs> Kids will get home, and they'll really think something's wrong with us, but... What do they know? Like, they're still teens. On my 50th birthday, I did what I knew. And it was great. I had this weird moment of, this is what I always do. This is who I am. I don't mind this. In fact, I like this. 
We sat through the restaurant. The whole experience didn't say anything. At the very end, she lets it slip out. Hey, by the way, it's his 50th birthday, <laughs> right? They want to bring ice cream and the whole thing. And I, and I was like, look, I, I ate too much, and I'm not doing sugar much anymore. I mean, look at me. I can't afford it, right? Don't comment on that. <laughs> so they don't do the ice cream and the whole thing, and we're about to walk out. And I, and I, I just had a thought to myself. I, I just turned around to some of the staff there. I said, I just want you to know, on my 50th birthday, I decided to come here. They see me pretty much every week. But they were elated. They were all lighting up. And we got in our car and we went home. I think we were probably in bed by 8.30. And I was like carrying the I'm old banner. You know? Yes, I'm old. I'm in bed by 8.30 on my 50th birthday and whatever. You know? There, there's a piece of us that needs to do what we know. And I really, really need you to see this because it's in the scripture. What did the guys know? What's that verse at the top of that page? See, we remember when that imposter said they knew. Why? Because he told them he's going to rise again after three days. Let's secure that they knew, but they didn't do what they knew. They just let, they fought it. They came up with an excuse. And now I want to show you the other piece who was the guy? What was his name? He bought a, a tomb and dug it out himself. Do you remember his name? Where was he from? Was he a craftsman? Was he good in business? Was he a negotiator? We know so much about this guy. Why? He walked into Pilate's. He should have been killed on the spot for supporting Jesus. But he walked in with his money. He probably knew how to negotiate. He was probably well-respected because he'd been doing what he knew for a really long time. He knows how to dig a, uh, a tomb. He knows how to roll a stone. He knows how to secure it. He knows how to do a whole lot of stuff, and he stuck with it. And I love that it says that came from a man from Arimathea named Joseph, a rich man, and, and. He was a disciple of Jesus. What did he know? He knew about Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea is being spoken of even to this day. Give me a name of one of the chief priests or one of the elders or one of the scribes or one of the soldiers. You can't name a single one of them. Why? Because they took the cheap road. They took the easy way out. Joseph of Arimathea is still being spoken about 2,000 years later, just like we're going to probably be speaking about Doug of Pleasanton. <laughs> right? I walked in this morning and said, Doug of Pleasanton. Nice to meet you. He looked at me funny. He said, don't worry. You'll understand later. <laughs> right? Do, uh, go with what you know. Go with what you know. Joseph go, went with what he knew. Everybody else didn't. We remember what he said. Yeah, you knew it and you missed it. And folks, I want this to be, God wants this to be, Matthew projected for this to be more than just Easter for you. Do you believe in it or not? It's meant to be, do you believe in Jesus, right? You sang it this morning. When I rise, when I doubt, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Remember, you sang it like 48 times. You kept singing it over and over. I'm standing in the back thinking to myself, gosh, if I'm not from here and I've never done this before, I walk in and I see this. It's a cult. 
What are they talking about? Jesus isn't going to come down here and hold your hand and walk you through a problem. He's not going to come down and speak to you audibly, okay? I'm a pastor. I went do all that seminary stuff. I've prayed a lot of times. He's never spoken to me audibly. He will one day. Would you guys come in here and give me G? What do you mean? See, Rock Bible Church exists because I got sick of church. Oh, how dare you say that, Scott, about the bride of Christ. I went to church and had people tell me little platitudes, little truths, little cute stories. Uh, some of it rhymed. Some of it was uh, acronyms. Some of it was onomatopoeia. Some of it was alliteration. They had all these cute little tools to teach me little things, but I didn't understand how it worked. They never showed me the science behind it. They never made it se sense about it for me. They would just sing little song, give me Jesus. What does that mean, give me Jesus? It means give me his heart, his thoughts, what's important to him. What are his directives to us? What are the non-negotiables? What are the blessings? What are those actual things? If I treat a person a certain way, is it actually going to work out? Not all the time. Well, how am I supposed to make sense of that? Give me Jesus. It's meant to get us pushed down the road and do what we know. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't steal. We avoid sexuality in inappropriate ways. We look where we go. We pay attention to what we invest in. And sometimes it's difficult, very difficult. How we treat people, what we entertain here, what we allow to fester there, that's giving me Jesus for sure. And You know everything you need to know already to follow him. Of the things that you know, you need not know any more because he's, he's made sure you know enough because here's the reality. You've been chasing good and bad your whole life. You've been chasing right and wrong your whole life. In fact, from about the time of two, which by the way, what do they call them? The, the, why? Why do they call them the terrible twos? Because they're starting to think. They're starting to figure out right and wrong, left and right, good and bad. They're trying their little experiment. Sometimes it's working, sometimes it's not. They're not understanding why they can't duplicate it sometimes. As they're starting to think, you know, innate within you is the value of what's right, of what's good, and what's true. And you chase it. And here's the hard part. That might be the hardest thing you're ever going to have to do. And this is why twos are terrible. It's trying to figure out that there's more going on than just you. That there's right that, uh, that exists outside of you. That there's good above you, beyond you. In fact, you might be wrong. You might be bad. And, and you have never, ever contemplated the idea that the question, why do good Bad things happen to good people is an unfair question because who says you're good and how dare you call anything that God does bad? <gasps> you ever thought of it that way? That'll change your little equation on how you research that one because we all make mistakes. That's why twos have a hard time because mom's telling me I can't, dad won't let me, my brother's bigger than me. Boy, that doesn't go well when the world revolves around you. That's what everybody else did. They did what they knew about themselves. You need to go with what you know 
about Jesus. Go with you what you know about Jesus. Not yourself, not what's easy, not what's simple. We got to chase that guy. Not so that we have good songs about him, and we need good songs about him. But the excitement, you ever, you ever been in a song and, wa- and looked around and instead of worried about with this, it was weird, thought about, wow, some of these people are singing this and they're really into it. And it can't just be the song. Those people have been experimenting with Jesus and they have found it to work fairly regularly and it's exciting for them. They've experienced blessing Things have started to make sense. And the more they go with what they know about Jesus, the more they want to do it more. In fact, they want to sing very repetitious songs that are very devotional, but logically lacking a piece or two. And that's okay. Amen? Amen. You've got to go with what you know about Jesus because here's the thing. He's coming back. Jews believe that he's coming back. They just didn't believe it was him. That's why they spread the story that the body had been stolen around them because they believed he's eventually coming back, right? And here's, here's something that really hit me. Um, I, I listened to a guy. His name's Ed Noble, Journey Community Church, uh, teaching pastor. I've known him for two decades or something, and some of you wonder, like, Scott, what do you listen to? What do you do? Almost nothing, but I listened to Ed Noble fairly religiously. And I was listening to one of his sermons from like three years ago recently, and he, he was talking about when Christ returned. And there's a little discussion that happens with the disciples where he says, hey, don't you know that this Jesus who you knew, that's the same Jesus that's coming back. We like to think a lot of times the triumphant Jesus. He's riding in on a really, really big horse with lots of guns. And he's, oh, you thought you could crucify me? Well, I'll show you a lesson or two, right? He didn't go up to heaven and get all like flustered and say, oh, yeah, we're going to come down and I'm going to teach you a lesson, right? No. That same Jesus. Always quiet. Always calm. Going with what he knew. What he knew? He knew God the Father. Nothing was a threat to him. And he knew things were easy to cover up, and he never covered up any of them. In fact, he said things that people didn't like, but he said them calmly. And sometimes when he was challenged, he didn't answer at all. Why? Because he wasn't going to engage in the conversation or the argument. Have you ever tried that? Like somebody gets at you, and you just shut up? Just shut up. There's nothing they can do. It's a very boring argument for them. Because you know you don't need to win the argument. In fact, you don't need to engage in the silliness. And you can just move on because the next day, things are going to move on and you're going to be fine. In fact, when that happens, just start thinking about, oh, what am I having for dinner tonight? That's what I like to do. People get so worked up and the whole thing, I just start thinking, hmm, Chinese or Mexican? Because we don't need to be threatened. That same Jesus, calm, loving, forgiving, in total control, He's going to walk back in here. I love that. Because I I got a little little guess. Okay? 
this is not theology. I can't point this anywhere in the Bible, but I'm, I'm, I think it'll make sense to you as I talk about it. In Genesis, at the very beginning, when it talks about God and Adam, they're standing there in the garden, Adam, the one who got the instructions, right? By the way, has anybody figured out that Eve didn't get the instructions? She wasn't there for the instructions. But the whole stinking world loves to say, oh, it was Eve's fault. It fault. It was the, her, it was her, she did it. She took the apple. It's not even an apple, folks. It, if it wasn't for her, it wasn't for women. Women, the dude got the instructions. Knucklehead was there. He knew what to do. She's standing there with who she thinks is going to support her. Little does she know he's a knucklehead. She's starting her very first experiment. I mean, so she got it wrong the first time. Who doesn't, right? She's trying to have a conversation. And she's kind of going, well, it sounds, seems like it makes sense. She takes the fruit and gave to her husband who was with her. What an indicting phrase for him. And they took and they ate it. And the minute they fall, the minute it crashes, the minute sin comes into the world and the ability to disobey God or know and not go with what you know, the first time that happens, there's one of the greatest phrases in the Bible. And I heard, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the still of the garden. I just, I just half wonder if they're telling the disciples later, this same Jesus that you knew, he is the one that's going to return. I wonder if he's just going to, yeah, he's going to come in the clouds from heaven and everybody know. And when he gets there, I wonder if he's just going to walk through the garden. Style. The garden's not there anymore. But you get my point. He's going to walk through. Who's coming? I'm having a little shindig. I'm way over 50. And it's going to be awesome. You guys want to still cover it up? Because I've given you everything you need to know. Who's coming? And I love that about God, folks. I, I really, if I can get it across as much as I can, I'll use humor, I'll use logic, uh, I'll be goofy, whatever. But there's, there's a little piece that I, I love to do the visual. How much does God want you to know? Right? How thick is that book? And I know some of it's annotation and cross-referencing and definitions. And all, but if he gave us that much he gave it so we know and we can do something with it. And now, I want to make sure you know there's nothing really in there. Well, Scott, are you going to qualify that? There's nothing in there more that you need to know. You pretty much have everything you need to know. Now, there's a whole lot more in there. That adds color to the picture and gives you creativity and might give you more blessing and understanding and the whole thing. But you have over 51% of what you need to know at this point to just go with it a little and try. Ain't a single person here today that isn't affected by that. Because a bunch of different people have said, yeah, let's try it. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Let's try. Let's go with what we know about Jesus. Amen? And then lastly, don't take the money. Don't take the money. I mean, it's the best, like, obnoxious commentary on knuckleheads, right? I introduced you to one a second ago. 
they, they, they take the money. They take the easy way out. They take the simple. They'll cover it up with tissue. And it's like, no, you could have done so much more. In fact, instead of taking the money, like the people who we don't know their names, take the body. I don't mean literally, but Joseph of Arimathea, he went and asked for the, uh, the body at great risk. He took that body. He put it in his tomb that he dug because he's a craftsman. He's muscly. He must be because he moved a huge stone. He knows how to negotiate. This guy took the body. Was it costly? Absolutely. Take time for sure. Was he sweating? Probably a lot. It was a bunch of work. And let me say it as loud and clear as I can. Following Jesus is costly. You will be exhausted. You will be uh, confronted. You will be opposed. You will be drained. And it'll be awesome and wonderful. Because when you start taking the body, say, what can I do? You've got to see this picture. Show me the picture, Steve. Jan showed you this picture. What'd she tell you? It's going to be a church. Yeah? Where? Nowhere. It's the middle of nowhere. One guy decided, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the body. There's bricks now. Cement, scaffolding. How many people are in that picture? No, there's a dude in the distance. Six. <laughs> Five. You, Sesame Street was rough for you, wasn't it? <laughs> right? I thought one guy was doing this. How'd he get five more? He started carrying the body. He started trying. How many of them are, you, you think they're all pastors? No, the odds just aren't that good, folks. <laughs> Something's going on. People are walking by. You know what they're saying? Well, it's a pretty gaudy house of yours. And what are he saying? Oh, this is my house. It's God's house. Which God? Your grandparents? No. Your relatives? No. Their relatives? No. No, it's a whole different thing. Wait, what? what? What are you talking about? What building is this? That's how we got five more people working on that building with him. I'm not even sure he's in the picture. But this is an example of carry the body, take the body, go do something with it. Stand up for what's right. Don't do the little white lies. Give me Jesus, right? In how you do your stuff and see if it doesn't come back for you. Amen? You could have a birthday party where you do nothing and you enjoy it. Just sit with your wife at a little restaurant. Because you see that there's more important things going on in life. Amen? Father, thank you for this story that you included to make sure we knew so many things, Lord. There were many witnesses. There were tons of opposition. They tried to stop you. They tried to hide it. And yet you wouldn't be stopped so that we'd have a shot. So that we could question ourselves. So we could go beyond ourselves. 
we can value other people the way you do. We could try things we didn't think are possible. And Lord, we could take the more difficult road. Pray, Lord, that you'd show us how to do that. I pray for some of us that are here this morning. This Maybe this is you. You're here this morning and you're tired. You're tired of things being compromised, doubting whether it's going to work, frustrated. Maybe it's time for you to give some things over to him. So I'm going to trust you for this. As long as it takes, I'm going to act the way you've called me to act, and I'm going to follow you. Ask him for that. Tell him it's time to start. And in fact, you could say it that way. You could say, God, let, let's just let's do this together. From this day forward, we're going to do this together, me and you. I have a few answers, but I'm going to trust you for them. That's all you need. I don't need to say it for you. And the beauty is in your relationship with the Lord, you don't need me. But you do need him. Ask him for that this morning. Father, we thank you for the offering that we're receiving right now. I pray, Lord, you would bless it to us as a church so that we could be a church who does what we know about you. And so we thank you for this. And Ask that you bless it. We praise in your son Jesus' name. Amen.